Big Ten Backers Podcast. This is your podcast for Big Ten football or anything college football related. From Jim Harbaugh's shirtless escapades to Brett Billima's hog-sized waistline with Ryan Day's beard dye and anything else in between. Big Ten Backers has the headlines from around the college football landscape. Oh, hey there, Big Ten Backers. This is your host, AJ, with Buckeye Steve. We just call him Top Beef. Grab a beer. We'll put college football in your ear. Let's rock and roll. I got mine. Welcome back, Big Ten Backers. You know what time it is. We're kicking off the show with those big-ass dump trucks. Week 9 edition. Everybody loves a good dump truck. To get started, let's break out that Backers big one. We got number eight, Oregon, traveling to number 13, Utah at 3.30 on Fox. Like I said, Oregon's traveling out to Utah to the same team that has had their number for years. This will be the second massive row gain of the season for Oregon. Utah will lean on their home crowd that has helped them win 18 straight at home. Can Utah pull out a similar shocker they had on the road at USC last week. Oregon's going to say not so fast, my friend. They're bringing in that 11th ranked rushing defense and the 16th ranked total yard defense. Are those numbers a bit inflated by the inferior competition? They haven't played too many good running teams, Beef. Utah also owns a stout D, 11th best in total yards. And will it hold up against that number one offense in college football for the Ducks? So many questions. Will we get answers to this? We sure will. 60 minutes of football. And this dump truck showdown will give us all the answers. Bodacious will need to dazzle this rizzed up D of Utah for this potential playoff elimination game for both the Utes and the Ducks, Beave. Well, tough road game schedule for the Ducks, my man. Tough. But this is not the unbalanced Trojans they had last week. This is a Ducks team that is playing complimentary football. They play well on both sides of the ball. They're second in points per game at 47 points per game. First in yards, as you pointed out. Defensively, they're 16th in points allowed, giving up 17 points per game. Utah, they allow 15 points per game defensively, ranking 11th. It's interesting to see that the yards per game versus the points per game are basically the same. What we got here is a team that has offense and a team that has defense. And then Utah that just has the defense. Bo Nix is first in the nation in completion percentage, completing 78% of his passes. But maybe Jonah Ellis will get his hands on some of those balls on Saturday. He's obviously a great pass rusher. He's got 10 sacks on the year, coming in third in the nation. For me, I go with the Ducks as long as Dan Lanning doesn't fuck it up. But man, you got me second guessing myself with the 18 straight at home for Utah. Utah at 99th in yards per game offensively. Utah's almost one-dimensional, dude. But that Bryson Barnes, he's come on strong the last couple of games. And as a freshman, in the limelight, 235 yards, three touchdowns, and another 56 yards and one touchdown on the ground. That pig farmer's got some fucking stink on them balls. What do you got? Who's winning this one, man? Oh, man, you got me talking about Farmer Gronk. We got Farmer Brady in this game. But you know what? My prediction, Oregon struggles with this enormous D of Utah. But guess what? They pull it out late and coming up with a 10-point victory in the end, 34-24. I'm going to go with a little bit bit closer, 28-17. A little bit less of a scoring game. Let's get to this next game, number 20 Duke. At number 18, Louisville, 3.30 p.m. game on ESPN. I'm not sure if this is an actual big-ass dump truck, but it's still a nice ass to watch regardless. The Duke D has played good, but not always great in ranked matchups. Leonard being out has put extra strain on that D, causing them to be exhausted from being on that grass too long. Louisville was my surprise ACC team this year. It took a hit losing to... In the words of West Virginia fans, Beef, can Jeff Brock get his team back on track? Or does that Duke D wear out the cards and this ACC slugger? Hey, man, in a week like this, it is a big-ass dump truck. Two top 20 teams, let's call it a big-ass dump truck, but maybe it's borderline overweight for the roads, you know? The key to this game and going forward for the Duke team is Riley Leonard. Like you said, if he's in, they win. If he's out, good luck. And I don't know that he'll be back. I mean, they kept him out of the Florida State game, and he was just coming back off of injury, so I don't know if he needs more time. 
haven't really heard anything about it, have you? I haven't heard anything. I just heard he's questionable, but hopefully he's in, man. We always hate seeing injured players. We always want the best of the best, baby. For sure. That defense for Duke, though, is fifth in the nation, giving up 13.9 points per game, but 38 against Florida State. And they held Notre Dame to 21, so that was pretty good. But Louisville's Jawar Jordan is a game-breaker, dude. He was sidelined and lost to Pitt, and maybe that was the difference in why they lost. Hopefully he'll be back, man. He's got breakaway speed that we saw against Notre Dame. Jamari Thrash, their wide receiver, has been hot. And the Cards will need them both against this Duke defense. Any thoughts on your prediction? I'm going to stick with my ACC surprise team. Louisville gets the dub in a fight at home with the Devils, 31-28. to What you got, Beef? Yeah, that home team's going to win this one. Cards all the way, 33-20. I'm ready for it. I'm here for it. I'm here for anything college football because you know what? We're not just Big Ten backers. We're college football backers, baby. Let's talk about this next game. We got number one Georgia at Florida. 3.30 p.m. game on CBS. Dogs are on the road again in a neutral site, and Florida has Georgia on And the largest outdoor cocktail party. Georgia will have to get it done without their biggest dog, Brock Bowers. Can they find a way to make up for that talent loss? Florida has gained some momentum with Graham Mertz. But they haven't done a damn thing against ranked opponents. Beef. These dogs can play good D, holding the number six spot in yards allowed per game. But the real story, though, is the dogs are ranked third in offense. Yeah, man, not what we expected from the dogs, right? Yeah, but everyone better watch out in Jacksonville. It's like the trailer park of big cities. Brock Bowers being out and being hurt in this game, that's not good. It's not good for Georgia. I mean, he's a Heisman candidate. You take that kind of player off the field, changes the game for sure, but it's not going to affect him in this game. Florida, I won't say they're garbage, but they're close. And Carson Beck is severely underrated. Outside of the Bulldogs, faithful. No one really knows that much about him, but he has 2,147 yards, and that's 13th in the nation. 12 touchdowns and four interceptions for the season. Got a 73.6 completion percentage sixth in the nation. I mean, this is his first year started and no one expected much out of him. We even had Georgia ranked a little low to start the season. And now they're back up there thanks to his success. And then Florida, they're 34th in the nation, giving up 20 points per game. Four out of five games are against rated teams to end the season. And this is just the start of them with the best of the best. going to be a long end of the season for the Gators, boy. What do you want to show me on this game? What do you think is going on? Dogs going to win it? Oh, man, the dogs are going to dominate. They're going to bully these Gators. They're going to get that W. 31-17. They're not even threatened, even with Brock Bowers being out. No, 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 they're not. I even think they get a little more points, 42-23. You know what time it is, though. We just finished up these big-ass dump trucks. We're the Big Ten backers. We're going to talk about these Big Ten games. We got a lot of buys, not a lot of great games, but guess what? We're going to break them down anyways. Yes, sir. Hey, B, let's bring in Ryan. Ryan Carter, podcaster from the Veteran Sports Talk Podcast. Let's do it. How we doing, Ryan? Give me a little plug about your show. Tell me what it's all about. Yes. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on the Big Ten Backers. Um, I listened to your podcast. I saw you guys pop up on Facebook. I was like, hey, I'll reach out to these guys. Uh, So a little bit about the podcast I run, uh, Veteran Sports Talk Podcast. Um, a lot of the things that being a military guy, we have a lot of organizations out there that are very physical, very social in nature. Um, and for some of our veterans and active duty members that are struggling with PTSD or depression, one thing is they're always looking for is a community that they belong to. One that isn't necessarily physical or social. So having a, a organization and a group to just talk sports, because that's one thing all military members probably have in common, because we all come from different backgrounds, different cities, different states. We we grew up completely different, um, but sports is one thing that brings all of us together constantly, and it doesn't matter if you're deploying with your unit or meeting up with people downrange. Um, you can always find someone that's either Penn State, Michigan, you know, a Big Ten supporter or or an SEC or whoever they support and at least talk football and have a little trash talk. So that's no doubt, man. One of my favorite memories of an Ohio State game was actually watching it in Afghanistan at a theater with a mixed bag of nuts between Oregon fans, Ohio State fans, Alabama fans that were a little scorned from Ohio State beating them, but it's still a good time. But man, let's get into this show. We'll, we'll talk to you a little bit about your favorite team, Penn State. So Ryan, let's start off with your thoughts on Penn State's performance last week in the horseshoe against those Buckeyes. So where do I start? Uh, I'm going to 
first off, blame the entire coaching staff for not preparing their team for an environment like this. One, they have the best, you know, atmosphere in college football with the whiteout. You know, they had that a few weeks before with Iowa. They should have been ready for a crowd like that. Two, they never prepared their young quarterback to handle adversity. They always try to protect him in all the other games. They really never let him throw the ball. Um, in, in tough situations, they always decide to hand it off to a running back or, you know, just something a little gadgety. They they really never let Alar get settled in early in the season against lesser opponents. Um, and you kind of saw that come to fruition this past Saturday in Ohio State when they asked him to throw the ball 40 times and he was not ready to do so. Three, the defense is always going to be there. This offense just needs to wake up. And I don't know if it's firing another offensive coordinator, which is going to be their third in the past five years. They went through, they had Joe Moorhead. He left for for uh, Akron. Then they went to the guy from Minnesota. Now they're on Mike Yurcich. I don't know what the answer is. They have all the talent in the world, but they can't get this offense rolling against good teams, and it's it's frustrating. And I, you can say Iowa, you know, they're they're good. They're not good. They are they are a bottom feeder in in college football. Their offense puts up 100 yards. So by the time Penn State was scoring points, their defense was exhausted from being on the field for 30 minutes. I don't know what the answer is, but they got to figure it out quick, or or they're going to get steamrolled by Michigan here. On I agree with you. Play. They need to let Allard loosen up and throw some balls, man. Throw some deep ones just to get used to that rhythm. And I was talking about that earlier, actually, in our podcast about against Indiana. I'd like to see him take some shots downfield just to get loose, get going, learn to throw the ball in big time situations. The other other thing that was questionable in this game to me with the coaches was that fourth down call. There were seven minutes and 17 seconds left. You call fourth and three and you're on like your own like 46 yard line. That essentially ended the game. And it wasn't like Ohio State's offense was world beaters and definitely going to score the next drive. Yeah, you can also look back at a few other plays where they tried to throw a, a backwards pass to Keandre Lambert-Smith near the sideline, and that got broken up for a double pass. Like, you're trying to run gadget plays and stuff like that when your offense isn't clicking. Like, I also question, if, if you go back and watch that game, if you watch when Drew Aller comes up to the line and starts making audibles, their defensive linemen for the Ohio State Buccaneers were calling out exactly what was going to happen. Like, you could see them pointing and saying things to their defensive backs or their linebackers and pointing to a specific spot. And by golly, if they did not go to that spot, I... I don't know what is going on. Something is fishy west of Pennsylvania. You know, that's fair. And you talked about the whiteout, man. It's one of the greatest sights and sounds of college football. I love the whiteout. Absolutely love it. I got to ask you a question about James Franklin. Do you think he has reached his ceiling at Penn State? And do you think he could ever get Penn State past being second fiddle in the Big Ten? So uh, the the nickname that we always hear is Big Game James and, and his record against, you know, top 10 opponents. He's what, three and now 16 all time against top 25 or top 10 opponents as time during uh, the Big Ten in Penn State. I, I don't necessarily put it all on him. I do put a majority of it on him. It also comes down to the coordinators and knowing what you have with your weapons. A lot of the route combinations that they ran last week were not the greatest. You had plays where it should have been wide open, but the receivers weren't on the same page. You just had a lot of miscommunication last week. It, it boils down to the coaches working with different players. I think the issue is also going out and grabbing so many trades transfer portal players, they, they're not on the same page. They're missing the li- the language that uh, Yurcich has. Because after the first two games, you haven't seen much of McLean from Florida State. You barely see Dante Cephas in the offense. Like, those are two guys they went out that were coveted players, and they're not even using them. Dante Cephas was a great wide receiver at Kent State last year and had like a thousand yards receiving or something like that. I think he's barely got like 10 catches this entire season. Where's the electricity that these guys are supposed to be bringing? I think they need to grow some players from home. I think they need to figure out how to bring in some of these big name players, keep them in the system. So that way the flow, the communication, just the the knowledge of the system is there as well. And you kind of touched up the next question we had. What are your thoughts on the game plan they put together for Drew Aller. Franklin and Yursich put something together, kind of made sure to answer that, that, you know, they didn't give him a chance to pass the ball throughout the beginning of the season. And then they expected him to throw the ball 40 times a game. Yeah. And the thing is, they had the slant working early with Keandre Lambert-Smith at the top. They had the run game working with Singleton early on, gaining chunk plays after chunk plays. I think that's when they drove it down and got the, the one field goal. They never really called plays that were keeping Ohio State 
they guessed it. It was like, we're going to run out first and second down, then we're going to try to throw on third down. They never really deviated from a plan, and it was very predictable. They didn't give Aller any easy, you know, routes to, to kind of get in rhythm that you saw McCord get in rhythm with, with Marvin Harrison and all of his guys. Like, Marvin Harrison, they ran some very interesting routes to get their best player wide open. And you did not see that with Keandre Lambert-Smith, which is their, you know, primetime electric player, same with Singleton. They didn't run anything to get them wide open. And I think they need to go back to the drawing board and figure out, you know, what do we have to do? Because after what they did to Massachusetts, I thought the offense was going to look great. They, granted, it's UMass, but they at least the offense was clicking. And, and especially in a wet environment, that was slightly unexpected, especially the game before Ohio State, you'd think, you know, they're going to kind of keep it vanilla and kind of keep things, you know, soft for them. Aller and that offense, they got to figure something out to get the playmakers open looks like Marvin Harrison or Brock Bowers or, you know, you name your playmaker. You need to find a way to get them get them the ball. Absolutely. Right on. We kind of knocked Penn State a little bit. Let's get to some of the positive, man. Manny Diaz has totally changed that defense. He's been a game changer for play calling on the defense. Their defense was stout. As bad as their offensive play, their defense played outstanding against Ohio State. How do you feel about that hire? I completely agree. If, if anything's going to happen and, and happen, Valley. If they do fire Franklin, I want Manny Diaz to step in as coach. The way he has brought that defense back to life, almost back to the Larry Johnson days, where Larry Johnson was the defensive coordinator and the defensive line coach, this team is probably the best defense since oof, I don't even know, probably the early 2000s, late 90s, when you had Paul Puzlesny and Dan Conlin, or Dan Connor, and all those big name guys. These guys are just flying around the ball. They they kept Ohio State in check. They, they got tired they got beat. A few of the plays kind of were questionable. That kind of set them back a little bit. Overall, Manny Diaz had a great game plan to slow down Harrison as much as you can because you're never going to stop it. You're never going to eliminate Marvin Harrison from the from a game plan. But they, they limited McCord. They limited the run games. They slowed down all the other receivers and Marvin Harrison, uh, even though Harrison went for like 150 yards on 11 catches. The guy's going to get his catches and he's going to get his yardage. I think if the offense was any sort of life, that defense is a lot stronger, a lot faster are a lot more capable at the end of the game and would probably win the game for them if it came down to a, hey, we need a stop. They probably would have gotten it at the end if Penn State was up. He's definitely changed that defense quite a bit. And like you said, they, they pretty much shut Ohio State down. The problem was the offense being one for 16 on third down, which made them out there on the field too long. Mind you, mind you that one for 16, that one was in like the fourth quarter in the two-minute drill when they were trying to get a score late. That was the only first down conversion they had. Most of the other times it was, you know, five plays here, four plays there. The only time they had drives longer than like eight plays was on the two field goals early in the game. Besides that, that team was stagnant. I, I don't even know what the time of possession was, but I imagine it was like 38 to 22. So Penn State being at home in Happy Valley, it's just a different environment. It's different than anywhere else in college football. Maybe Death Valley at LSU is up there. But what does Penn State have to do having that home field advantage to rebound and beat Michigan at home? Do they have to change their signs? <laughs> um, changing their signs, I don't even think it matters if they change their signs. You can know the play. Like a lot of like living down in the SEC country, you hear a lot of people bashing on, you know, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, all the Big Ten teams. The way I think I think as Paul Feinbaum put it, you can know all the plays in the world. You can know what I'm calling. You just have to have the ability to stop it. I think even if Penn State wants needs to win that game, the way they win that is one time of possession. You gotta keep the ball out of JJ McCarthy, Blake Corum. Donovan Edwards, all the, those guys' hand. It's almost like what the Titans did in the NFL. They gave the ball to Derrick Henry 30, 40 times, and they dominated time of possession. You win the time of possession, you win the turnover battle, and you get a special teams play, and that game's completely different. I think that's the way they, they kind of kept in the game back in 14, I believe it was, when Allen Robinson went up for that Hail Mary catch from Christian Hackenberg and brought down the one-yard line, and then Belton ran in into the end zone to win it. They just 
played tough football. They did good on the turnovers, and they kept the time possession close because if your defense gets tired like they did in Ohio State, they're not going to be able to stop Blake Horn and Donovan Edwards in the fourth quarter. They're just going to run all over you with that offensive line that has been steamrolling everyone else in the Big Ten. The only other thing, I wish they could just make it a night game. I am tired of Fox and big noon kickoffs. Like, it is the bane of my existence to have a Penn State game. Yeah, I think everyone agrees with you on that. I'm right there with you. Who, who in their right mind would put Penn State and Ohio State a battle of two top seven teams at 11 o'clock Central Time? At least make it the 2.30 game or the 5.30 game. I don't care if it's, you know, in between games. Just make it some different other than 11. They were trying it's to catch up with ESPN and they had that time slot. It's our fault as viewers, right? We're watching and as long as we're watching and they get a new time slot where they can get primetime numbers, they're going to keep doing it. So it's the fans' fault. You know, we're going to watch them regardless. It sucks. Everybody hates it. I'll get one more quick question out. You kind of touched on it. Speaking on Michigan, what's your opinion on the signal stealing accusations? And if found guilty, what should Michigan's punishment be? And what should happen to Jim Harbaugh? All right. Well, if they are found guilty, which I think there is enough evidence out there that they will be. One, this kid needs to be banned from the NCAA forever. Two, Jim Harbaugh needs fired immediately and almost put on a ban like Art Bryles or you name anyone that was cheating. Pretty much put him on, on a death sentence like SMU or Penn State was. Like those coaches were, were fired. They were gotten rid of and they never made it back to the collegiate level ever again. Three, Michigan probably needs to vacate all wins from the past two years of this science dealing or however long it's been going on. And then also have a, a bowl ban, a postseason ban, which is not good for the Big Ten because we want to be represented in the, in the postseason. But those those are definitely the four areas I can think of right now and probably a reduction in scholarships. I think that would hit them harder and then you'd also see almost an immediate transfer portal out of Michigan, almost like you saw Penn State and Michigan State and some of these other schools that had postseason bans, those players left for greener pastures, and it would knock them down a few pegs for the year. Oh yeah, there's something coming if they're found guilty, and and I think all of what you said makes exact sense to violations this massive. The the only thing I don't like is the the bowl bans, because it punishes the players more than the coaches, or equally. And the coaches ultimately are the ones making the decisions. The players just have to go along with what people of authority say, basically. And I can see how people would argue that. So let the players play the game. Agreed. I mean, I would say they are not eligible for playoffs. If, if we want to go, if we that would be okay. Be yeah. Somewhat lenient to the players, you can't make the playoffs. You can go to a bowl game, but you can't go to the playoffs. I don't care if you're the number four team in the nation, you can't go to the playoffs, and it opens up a spot for someone else. I like it. I'm on board. But even still, if even if you get some sort of reduction in scholarships and all this other stuff, you're gonna see players vacate that place just oh, like sure. they did in Happy Valley. It's gonna be the same effect. It's gonna take a good four to five years for them to rebuild the program to even a resemblance of what they currently are and almost be in the same situation Penn State was because that happened to what Penn State in 2010 if I'm correct because I believe that was the year I went to the game it was Penn State Nebraska and it was Bradley's first game as interim head coach and I was that or it was 2011 I think and I was at that game and it was the most heartbreaking game to ever be at and then a few weeks later hearing the passing of Joe Paterno and hearing like being I I drove up there because my girlfriend at the time was in Altoona we drove up we went to Put uh, Jopa's house, and we all sung it, like stood outside singing Penn State songs and cheering and just showing support for that family. And it was definitely one of the hardest times in, in being a Penn State fan and just being around that school, having one of your legend pass on because of that was his life. That's the only thing that kept Jopa alive. Yeah, I imagine that had to be super hard as a you know a loyal fan base. You're not just you know a casual Walmart fan. You sound like you're deep uh, into Penn State football, true-hearted fan. So I, I can imagine that that had to be super hard. All right, well, Ryan. We want to thank you for being here. But first, where can everyone find your podcast and where can they find you on social media? So you guys can find me on social media at the Veterans Sports Talk Podcast. It'll be a picture of an F-15 flying through the airs with the vest right above it. I'm listed on Amazon, Spotify, Apple, Buzzsprout. I have all my episodes up there. I've been off the past few weeks, been dealing with uh, one. My wife had a six millimeter kidney stone that she had to have surgically removed just issues with that and then I ended up getting sick as soon as she had this procedure done so I was down for a few days I had a, another guy fall through that I was going to have on the episode and now I'm getting ready to go to Austin for, for Nationals for Disc Golf so I've had a few episodes I've missed I apologize to my listeners but episodes are going to be coming back up soon as soon as I get back and I'm able to get, get reinvigorated again again Amazon Spotify and Apple iTunes podcast 
All right, Big Ten backers, man, I'm going to challenge y'all to go check out Vest, check out Ryan's podcast. He's a Big Ten backer himself. He's from Big Ten country. And you know, why not look out for a Vet Ran podcast just like us? But thanks, man. We'll have to do this again sometimes. It's a pleasure talking with you. And if you want us to return a favor and come on your show, let us know. All right. Sounds good. Appreciate you guys' time. And I uh, hope you guys have a great night. Uh, thanks, you too, man. Big 10 Roundup. Week. Niner, five, six, seven, eight. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a Niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No, it was cordless. Midwest Corn Fest Game of the Week. We got number two Ohio State at Wisconsin. 7.30 p.m. on NBC. The Big Ten backers will be in Camp Randall for this one, baby. Buckeyes and Badgers, Luke Fickle and Ryan Day, Bucky Badger, and Brutus Buckeye. Man, that's a lot of Bs up in that bitch. I prefer the Ds. Luke Fickle got Wisconsin a revenge win against a former coach. Can Wisconsin get Luke Fickle a win against his former team? Buckeyes are road tested with a big win against Notre Dame as they look to get their fourth win on the road in another night game against a second challenging opponent on the road. Badgers are surviving with major injuries at QB and running back while Ohio State looks to get healthy for the first time in a few weeks. Those injuries didn't stop either team last week getting massive wins for their schools. Ohio State brings in their brute of a defense who is number three in the nation in scoring defense and number three in passing defense. B, Wisconsin won't look to get it done, but will lean heavy on Braylon Allen, the Big Ten's best back in this one. Can they get it done and get that crowd to jump around? I mean, it would be nice for Fickle. It would be ironic for him since he was passed up when they hired Urban Meyer due to not having experience as a head coach. And of course, right after Meyer, Ohio State hires a dude with no experience. So I'm sure he's a little bit pissed off about that or maybe butthurt. I don't know what the right word would be, but butthurt sounds good. But the D for the Buckeyes, I mean, this is a matchup problem for Wisconsin all the way. They completely shut down primarily rushing offense last week. In order to press or test this Ohio State defense, you need a quarterback that can throw balls downfield. I mean, they need to spread out that defense so that they're not as fast as as their speed actually shows. And Wisconsin really just doesn't have the personnel to do that. They are 84th in the nation in passing yards. They give up 216.6 per game. And so likely they'll have like 150 yards against the Buckeye. They are 84th in the nation in passing yards. They produce 216.6 yards per game. And they're likely to only have 150 against a good defense like the Buckeyes. Ohio State allows 260 passing yards per game on average, and they're like third in the nation. They will probably get their 180 on the ground, which is 34th in the country. Ohio State's defense is going to shut them down from scoring. They don't allow big plays, and they put up in the red zone, too. They don't allow a lot of scores. I'm just starting to be a believer in this defense, man. It took me a little while this season. I didn't really know the identity of Ohio State. And I'm an Ohio State fan, and I like to judge them a little more. I think Ohio State fans are weird like that. Wisconsin defense allows 333 yards through the air per game, and Marv is going to get his 100 for a fourth straight game. That would make 100 yards receiving in six out of eight games this year. Watch out for Whiskey's Ricardo Holman. He's had four interceptions. Only three guys in the nation have more. And we saw two of those interceptions when we watched them beat down Purdue and West Lafayette. And oh shit, man, you were there in Madison when you ran that 95-yard interception return back against Rutgers. You got to see that shit live, boy. Yes, sir. You know, the biggest thing about this is I've never been to Camp Randall. It's been on my bucket list for a long, long time. I am so pumped to be in Madison and film that jump around, man. It's going to be sweet. Oh, I'm ready for a beef. I'll go ahead and get my prediction out there. Wisconsin has not beat Ohio State since 2010, but Whiskey's going to make this interesting. Real interesting. But that Whiskey D goes flat in the third, losing 14-31. to Yeah, I think at halftime it's going to be something like 13-7, which is going to have me drinking Wisconsinably. And after half, it ends 34-10. to Are we close on that one, B? We real close. Let's get to some of that other big on big action. We got Indiana at number 10, Penn State. Drew Aller is back in action after his disappointing outing in Columbus, but that shouldn't matter. This is at home against last place Indiana. 
James Franklin will have his Lions ready to go against this far inferior foe, despite their offensive showing last week. That Lion D is destructive and disruptive. They are the second best scoring defense and the second best defense at getting sacks. Tom Allen hasn't done much this year to have his team ready to play anybody. And I don't expect magic here from the Hoosiers. Beef, let's be frank about Franklin's D. The Hoosiers are about to get it and get it good. Hey, I'm giving the cred to Manny Diaz, bro. Not to Franklin. He's got that defense rolling. But I didn't realize he's the head of the team. You got to give credit to the head coach as much as you take it away from him when he makes stupid decisions. All right, Penn State has some work to do on getting the ball downfield. I say hopefully use this game getting out big early and let Aller loose, man. They need to practice airing it out. Penn State's a great team, a good team, and they will take care of business here. But I'd love to see them get some work with Aller airing it out, man. What's your prediction on this score? Penn State wins handily at home, 41-3. to Ooh, no, no, no. That Indiana defense only gives up that many points to another team that has their signs, bro. 28-10. to <laughs> I like that one, BB. Snuck that in there. Next Big Ten matchup. Maryland at Northwestern, 12 p.m. on BTN. The Terps turn their attention to Chicagoland to take on the Wildcats of Northwestern, another team who has helped the Big Ten embarrass themselves in the PR department. What the hell is going on in the Big Ten? We got the Shower Boys, the Tuck Times, and now the Secret Signal Surveillance by Michigan. Maryland will bring in their explosive offense and at times their exploited defense into this showing. I don't see another Illinois letdown here, Beef. Tolua has been magic, but also turnover prone, but leads an offense putting out 7.6 per pass and 4 point yards per run with three backs over 200 yards in the season. B, can running back Cam Porter run wild on these Terps and help the Wildcats pull an upset at home? No, absolutely not. They had their letdown game of the year already and they're ready to build a strong practice game going into their stretch run. They still have Penn State. They still have Michigan to play. They're 44th in yards per game at 422 and 35th in points per game at 33.4. I think they'll get it done. I think they'll do well. And they're getting ready for the big games, man. I, I think they're gonna I still think they're gonna knock someone off. What's your prediction? Let's see what you got. Terps send the Wildcats to the showers and a beatdown. 31 to 10. What you got, B? 31 to 10 sounds good. And a beatdown in the shower sounds kind of ironic too. All right. We got Michigan State at Minnesota. It's another 330 game on BTN. The big game nobody wanted. I only say big because of the conference these teams play in. Both teams have been disappointing this year, but there is a good chance for the Gophers to go bowling and a win here will help tremendously to make that happen. PJ Fleck did get a huge upset last week downing the Hawkeyes, but they did get a lot of help from the refs and the review team. But hell, if you're the Gophers, you'll take it, right? Callie Lickamayanis has been terrible. And I just wanted to say that. Just wanted to put that out there, that he is terrible. Michigan State produced a goose egg against Big Brother last week and lost in dramatic fashion the week before, letting go of a massive lead to Rutgers. Beef, I look for running back Darius Taylor to tuck this game away and put more dirt on this Michigan State season. Yeah, man, this has been a sad season for Michigan State. But do you know the Big Ten team that has less yards per game than Michigan State? Any idea? Cali, look at my anus, lead gophers. It's a trick question. There's four of them. And these are them in order (laughs) of best to worst yards per game. Indiana, Minnesota, Northwestern, and Iowa all have less yards per game than Michigan State. Man, I mean, I dove deep into the points per game on this Big Ten West in a previous podcast, and you got to go back and listen to that. I mean, this is this is just terrible. It's embarrassing to be a Big Ten backer with the offense that's produced in the West. I'm so thankful that we're bringing in teams we can actually spend time dissecting and talking about their offense. Next year is going to be so much more fun. Uh, and on a side note, that Northwestern versus Iowa game, it has to be a Burns when you pee game because that. That is terrible. I was the worst in yards per game in the country, and Northwestern isn't far behind. Back to this game. If we go strictly on averages. Got a question for you, Beef. What's harder, 
being the offensive coordinator for those teams or being the PR person for the Big Ten? (laughs) The PR person for the Big Ten right now. I mean, it's been a dumpster fire for the Big Ten for PR. I guess it's easy because the Big Ten just doesn't do anything. They don't say anything about it. They don't even have a slogan like it just means less. I don't know. Going back to this game, if we go strictly on averages, this is a 20 to 19 game Minnesota. Minnesota averages 20 points a game. Michigan State, 19. What's your prediction? Give me the Gophers, 27 to 17. Yeah, I got it similar to that, but I'm getting closer to those averages. 20 to 17, Michigan State misses a field goal late with a kicker staring at the yodeling gopher on the video screen, distracting him. We got one more Big Ten game left this week. We got Purdue at Nebraska, 3.30 p.m. game on Fox Sports 1. Matt Rule and his Cornhuskers look to expand on their recent success after starting off terrible this season. QB Harburg has helped turn this season around and has become the leading rusher and passer for Nebraska. Head coach Ryan Walters in his first year has been a disappointment thus far, but a win here could help rejuvenate his Boilermakers. Beef, both teams need a dub here to enhance their chances to make any bowl plans this postseason. Yeah, I don't think Purdue has really much of a chance, but Nebraska is what makes this game interesting. An interesting game in the Big Ten West. Wow. Nebraska can go bowling with two more wins. They are at home against Purdue and away at Michigan State. I mean, those are very winnable games. I look for them to continue their success from the last two weeks. Four straight and they go bowling, baby. Heinrich Harburg leads the team in passing and in rushing. And he didn't even start for the first two games of the season. They picked him up in the third game of the season, and then he started, really, he's the he's the team. He's the offensive part of the team. Their offense is terrible, too, just like everyone else in the Big Ten West. What do you got for a prediction? Hornhuskers, get it done in Lincoln, 24-17. to 17. You got I'm going to copy on that one. 24-17 sounds good to me. There's some teams not playing, and by some, I mean a lot. Michigan, Rutgers, Iowa, and Illinois will all have a bye week this week, and they need to get some rest. Well, except for Michigan, they will be battling the NCAA and the Big Ten from potential dismantling of their season. They are in some serious, serious trouble. But Beef, you know what time it is. The Big Ten backers know what time it is. You know what you're about to hear. Time to trim them ginger balls. Let's go ahead and trim the landscape, baby. We got number six, Oklahoma at Kansas, 12 p.m. on Fox. Sooners on the road at 5-2 Kansas. Will the Sooners play better this week? That shit last week was close to ruining their perfect season. Kansas, once again, will be without their star QB, Jalen Daniels. Jason Bean will need to step up and play well in this huge game. Heisman hopeful QB Dylan Gabriel has helped this Sooner offense through the air at 9.3 per attempt while averaging 4.3 on the ground with over 230 rushing yards on the season. Beef, can Kansas pull an upset over the Sooners? With Jalen Daniels still being out, I gotta go with the Sooners on this one, man. I took the dark horse and picked the Jayhawks to win the Big 12, but their boy went down and boy did that backfire. Are these quarterbacks that are candidates for the Heisman? Seems like every single one of them has had a one-game slump, and last week was Gabriel's, at least for his team. They'll be back, and they'll be back big this week. What's your count on this? Who you picking? Sooners. Survive another close one, but get it done. 35-28. What you got, Beef? 33-18. Sooners take this one home. Well, every time we talk about the Sooners, we end up talking about Texas. Number seven, Texas is at BYU. 3.30 p.m. game on ABC. BC QB Quinn Ewers is out. Malik Murphy is in. He has seen limited action this season, but lit it up in the spring. Expect him to be the signal caller over Arch Manning. The Longhorns struggled last week and got all they could handle from the Cougars. BYU has been up and down like the weather in the fall. Can they catch the Longhorns at the right time for QB Slovis to deliver an upset for BYU? Beef, how do you see Texas playing against this tricky BYU team on the road without their main signal caller? I mean, you know Ewers was a game changer. He was all world. I mean, he got an endorsement just by going to Ohio State and coming back to Texas the next year. And he's the reason Texas was back. Well, not anymore. They ain't back. We're back! But the 
thing about BYU is that defense, they give up 396 yards per game. And both losses for BYU have been away games at TCU, at Kansas. BYU is checking in at Texas. I got a loss for BYU, baby. I'm picking Texas 33-31. to I'm going to pick an upset here. Texas goes down like a blonde in a porno and gets the shocker from QB Slovis who leads BYU to a 31-28 victory. That's bold. It is bold, just like my coffee. Let's go to the next game. We got number 21 Tennessee at Kentucky, 7 p.m. game on ESPN. Volunteers are in back-to-back rivalry road trips. That ain't no easy task, son. Can they get it done this time after falling apart in the second half against Bama? Kentucky was once one of the hottest names in the SEC East but fell apart after visiting Georgia and got another bad visit from Missouri, taking two consecutive L's in the process. Who bounces back in this SEC rivalry? Look for running back Ray Davis for Kentucky to try and get foot loose on this Volunteers defense. He is steering the wheel to this offense, averaging 7 yards per carry, and has 8 TDs on the season. Beef, can Joe Milton strong arm the Wildcats and get Tennessee back on track? You know, Tennessee, last week, they played well enough to win at Bama in Tuscaloosa, but they came away short. They play that good against Kentucky, and you know they win. Kentucky, with those two straight losses, both to rated teams, and then they got another one this Saturday to make it three rated teams in a row. You called it, man. Ray Davis is the SEC's leading rusher. He's 12th in the nation with 781 yards and 13th in the country with those eight TDs. I got Tennessee, man. They gave it everything in their last showing, but I think they pull together one more and they barely knock off the Wildcats, 33 to 30. I'm right there with you, Beef. I got Tennessee winning the battle of I-65, securing the dub 38-27 over them Wildcats. We got Colorado. At number 23, UCLA, 7.30 p.m. game on ABC. Neon Dion and his prime buffs have fallen from the spotlight, losing three of its last four. It would sure help the buffs to get a win against the AP Top 25 team. Chip Kelly's D has looked good all season, but his five-star freshman QB, Dante Moore, has been inconsistent as dial-up internet in the 90s, throwing 10 TDs but also has seven interceptions with a few of those going for six for the other team. QB Shador Sanders is no doubt the leader of the offense for the Buffs, has nearly 2,500 yards, 21 touchdowns. Everything Travis Hunter should be getting better and better, recovering from his lacerated liver. This should be an awesome Pac-12 battle, Beav. We will have to DVR this guy, though, because we're going to be jumping around in Camp Randall. Hey, my only question is, is Big Noon going to be there? I mean, they made Colorado their team, right? Guess they can't. It's on it. It's on ABC. This win would be huge for the Buffaloes. I mean, it would be prime, baby. But I just don't know about the overall talent and depth that the Buffs have against a good defense. That UCLA defense allows only 14.9 points per game, ranking 10th in the nation. But check this out. They're 51st against the pass, which is the only thing the Buffs do. Sidor. He's lived up to his old man's name and is baby prime. I got the buffs upset in UCLA at their house, 39-38. All right, man, I picked this upset too. I got a prime time letdown for Chip Kelly and Dante Moore as the Sanders boys and Hunter goes off and bully the Bruins 34-30. to Beef, it's time to get into those AJ and Beef best quickies. We got number 11 Oregon State at Arizona, Pac-12 after dark, 10.30 p.m. on ESPN. Yeah, I got to get at that old Dominion versus James Madison game. I got to see that one, man. Going to have to DVR that one as well. We got number 17, North Carolina at Georgia Tech. It's an 8 p.m. game on the ACC Network. Vanderbilt at number 12, Ole Miss, 7.30 on on the SEC Network. We got the number 19 Zoomies Air Force at Colorado State, 7 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. Washington at Stanford, 7 p.m. Fox Sports 1. Well, do you want better? Number 24 Southern Cal at California, 4 p.m. Pac-12 Network. And number 22, Tulane at Rice, 4 p.m. ESPN 2. If you want to catch a real beatdown. We got Eat Shit Pit at number 14 Notre Dame, 3.30 p.m., NBC. Hey, this is actually, it might end up 
turning into a good game. Number four, Florida State at Wake Forest, 12 p.m. ABC. Florida State has a little bit of a history at playing subpar at away games in the ACC. That they do, Beef. Hey, it's our favorite time. It's time to bring Matt in. Let's bring Matt in, get these bets laid down, and make y'all some money. Vegas, baby. It's time. It's time to bring Matt in. He's got some news for us on Vegas. And boy, I'm not feeling too good down below. I'm a little sore. I'm a starfish. Yeah, thank you all for having me. And it was a pretty rough week from a betting perspective for you all. So let's kind of break it down. Uh, starting with myself, I was 13 and 8 last week. Gets me to 83, 65, and 2. AJ, 2 and 5 last week. Dropped to 19, 17, and 1. Beave, better, but not much better. You were 3 and 4 last week. You were 20 and 17. So you are now a half a game up on AJ. Hell yeah. How are you feeling about that? A win is a win. And even though I have a losing streak, I'm winning. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the losing streak. I was going to start with the good news, kind of come with the tough news next. You have lost four straight games in the BWYP game of the week. What are your thoughts around that? I think the doctor just gave me the wrong antibiotic, so it's going to continue to burn. You know, give me the good stuff. Well, let's see what we can do this week about that. All right, let's do it, boys. Let's get into this week's game. Matt's got a special one for us right off the bat. We got Oregon at Utah. Yeah, this one here starting out, we see the line at minus five and a half. It started at five and a half, I should say. That spread has jumped up to minus six and a half in favor of Oregon. We saw an over-under at 49 at the start. It has dropped down to 47 and a half. So we've seen Oregon rise a point in the spread. We've seen that over-under drop a point and a half. You know, and as we're going to start digging into these a little bit deeper, I want to start talking about where money's flowing, where tickets are flowing, uh, where sharps are looking. And right now, you're actually seeing a significant amount of cash going to Oregon. You're seeing that spread go up, but it's not just tickets. It's also cash as well. And a lot of cash right now is heading with that under. And I think you're seeing that because of how good Utah's defense played last week against USC. I know 30 plus points, you're saying, well, good. That was the number one scoring offense in the country. They were on the road and they gave up 31 points. I mean, that's a pretty good defensive effort here. Oregon has a pretty good offense as well. But I think what they're saying here is it's going to be a one-score game. And I think you saw Utah's offense last week, granted against a terrible USC defense, but be able to put some points up and win in a quasi-shootout, kind of a Utah-style shootout. So looking at all this, I'd probably be leaning a little bit more towards the under, given where cash and the sharps are going. But let me start with you, AJ. Where is your? Where are you looking? Oh, I'm going to lay the points on the Ducks, baby. And you, Beef. I'm going to go under. We got an ACC Classic. Okay, maybe not an ACC Classic, but we got an ACC (laughs) game. We got Duke going to Louisville. Yeah, this one is is really a matchup of what might have been with these two teams. You know, last week, Duke played very well against Florida State, just couldn't have it at the end um, with the quarterback not being able to come back. Louisville, big win against Notre Dame, and then lays an egg to Pitt. Um, so really disappointing that this wasn't a better, higher-tier matchup. But right now, you see the over-under 47. That has dropped down to 46. You've seen the starting spread, Louisville minus 4. That has jumped up to minus 4.5. Again, if we're going to start talking, where's the cash flowing everywhere? You're seeing a lot of cash heading towards Duke, which is surprising. This is where you start breaking down the difference between money versus tickets. You're seeing a lot of tickets go Louisville. You're seeing the majority of cash go going towards Duke. With that being said, if you're getting minus four and a half, I really like Duke's chances here, especially because I think that defense is really good. Their special teams can show up as well, too. Offense may be a little sluggish, but I haven't seen enough from Louisville that says that they're going to dominate this game. So I'd probably lay the points with the Dukes, but let's start with you, Beef. Take Louisville to beat the spread. And you, AJ. You talked about that, D. You convinced me, so I'm going to take the under. We got a neutral site game. We got the largest outdoor cocktail party. We got Georgia versus Florida. Yeah, and again, always looking at the fact you got two components here. You got a rivalry game, but you also got a neutral site game, obviously being played in Jacksonville. 
The spread has stayed flat pretty much across the books the entire week at minus 14 and a half Georgia. Over under stayed pretty flat as well too. It started at 49 and strapped down to 48 and a half. So really no change in the spreads, which is again kind of odd because if you're looking at where cash is flowing, you're seeing the majority of cash flowing to Florida. You're also seeing about 53% of the cash going with the under on this game as well too. And I think with Georgia, you've seen them at times show a little bit, but let's also go to the fact that against the spread this year, Georgia is 1-5-1, and one, meaning Vegas has really not pegged them very well. That lone win was that blowout of Kentucky, but otherwise they have not done well against the spread. Now, Florida, I'm not really impressed with as a whole. Uh, their losses this year, Utah and Kentucky. However, I think that loss of Bowers is a factor. I think it's a rivalry game. I'm going to take the points. If you can give me that hook, even get that up to plus 15, I'd be looking at the Florida Gators here. But let's start with you, A. Oh, man, this one kind of scares me. I don't know which way to go. I think George is going to get him, though, and I'm going to take the over. And you, Beef. Yeah, man, I got to go with the dogs. Uh, I don't trust anything about Florida right now. I mean, George has got a great offense, great defense. I'm going to go ahead and say that they cover that point spread. All right. We got the Ohio State Buckeyes heading to Camp Randall against Wisconsin. Yeah, this one, again, following the money, which is very odd. We've talked for about four plus weeks now about hammering Ohio State in the under. We're all trying to get out of our minds uh, that this is not the Ohio State offense of the past 10 years. This is more of your Jim Trestle style uh, offense that we're looking at here. But this over under, it started at 44, it has jumped up to 45 and a half. That is a really low over under for Ohio State team. I understand where they're coming from with the Wisconsin perspective, not having their starting quarterback a great Ohio State defense. The spread started at 14. That has jumped up to minus 14 and a half. So kind of looking at this game, you have to say to yourself, okay, do you think Ohio State's offense can really put up 35, 42 points because that defense is playing at such a high level with a backup quarterback, may not be able to put up a ton of points there. However, Ohio State, you know, kind of survived that, that game against Penn State. Shouldn't say survived. They actually played pretty well throughout. But the fact of the matter is, is if I think you can get this line to drop back down to four. 14, I'd probably take Ohio State and lay the points. Otherwise, I'm going to go a fifth straight week of Ohio State game saying under. Well, with that being said, let's go to you, Beav. Where are you going? O State, lay the points. And you, AJ. Ohio State's going to win big, but there's not going to be a lot of points, so give me the under. We got Oklahoma going to Kansas. They struggled last week, but they got Kansas on the road. Yeah, this one, you you see Oklahoma come out of the gate at minus 10.5. They have dropped to minus 9.5 over under. Was started at 66, dropped down to 65.5. So all in all, you're seeing things stay relatively tight. I think this could be a little bit of a backlash of what happened with Oklahoma last week against UCF. You've got Kansas here. You know, Kansas is a pretty tough team to kind of peg in the sense that you never really know what their quarterback situation, what their depth situation is going to be. This one has a really funny feel with it. With that being said, I do think regardless of Kansas QB situation and what Oklahoma can do offensively, I would go very heavy on the over on this bump. But let's start with you, AJ. Where are you leaning? Mm, that is a healthy, healthy 65 and a half. Mm. It's dangerous. I'm going to take the under, though. And you, Beef. Under. We got Oregon State Beavers playing Arizona. Yeah, this one is is a line that's had a little bit of movement. You've seen Oregon start out of the gate at minus five. That has dropped down to minus three and a half, so a point and a half drop there. Over under stayed pretty consistent around 56 and a half. It started at 56, but not really a lot of movement there. Um, and this is odd because you're looking at the number 11th ranked team in the country, the Oregon State Beavers at six and one going against four and three Arizona. But that, that Arizona team is a sneaky team. Their, their losses this year are to Mississippi State, University of Washington, in USC. So they, their losses have been against pretty legitimate uh, competition. So that is a tough team. That is a tough place to play. However, I think Oregon is really a sleeping giant in the Pac-12. I think they're playing extremely well. If you can get minus three and a half, I'd take it. Even better, if you can wait a little bit longer and see that drop to minus three, I would gobble that up. But with that, let's go with you, Beef. I got Arizona. And you, AJ. You got two good defenses here. I don't see a lot of points getting scored. I'm going to take the under. We got a special for you. 
Old Dominion playing James Madison. Is that where Billy Madison went to school? I believe so. Yes, I believe so. Old Dominion here, the Monarchs at four and three, uh, not having the kind of year that they've had in recent years. But let's take a focus on James Madison. They're in this because one, they are the number 25th ranked team in the country. Two, we are going to keep highlighting these group of five teams because the best one is going to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. And if you haven't had a chance to pay attention to James Madison, in all seriousness, take a look at them. It's a, it's a pretty solid team. It's a team that's come up to the FBS level after being at the SCS. They dominated for decades at that level. They're playing really good ball up here at the FBS level. You saw a starting spread in this game at minus 17. That has jumped up this week to minus 20 and a half. A three and a half point spring like that, that tells you flat out right away, these sharps, everybody looking at this game says, Vegas, you pegged this wrong right off the bat. Over-under stayed right around 49 or so. I haven't seen a lot of movement there. But anytime I see that kind of jump, especially if you actually look at Sunday and Monday books, that was jumping a point and a half, almost two points are an array. That's basically screaming at you, hey, we think you got this wrong. We think James Madison's in it. I say if you can get it under 21, I jump on the Dukes. But with that, let's start with you, Beav. Where are you going? Old Dominion covers the spread. All right, and you, AJ? If James Madison is favored by 20 and a half, that means to me that there's going to be a lot of points scored. I'm going to take the over. All right. You know what time it is, boys? It's time for Rapid Fire. Rapid Fire! Indiana at Penn State. Yeah, you've seen this one start at 30 and a half, uh, minus 30 and a half. Penn State has jumped up to minus 31 and a half. You've seen the over and under stay right around 45-ish. Indiana statistically, at least points per games perspective, one of the worst teams in college football. Penn State coming off that tough loss to Columbus. I think if you can get this at minus 31, lay the points, give me the Nittany Lions. All right, we got Maryland at Northwestern. Yeah, you see Maryland even going on the road. They're minus 14-point favorites. I actually have seen in some books this week, minus 13 and a half. To me, uh, Maryland had a tough loss against Illinois. They got a bye week. I think they're going to come in ready. They're going to score some points. They got a pretty good defense. If you can get 13 and a half, take it all day. I'd even take minus 14. Give me the Terrapins. We got Michigan State at Minnesota. Yeah, this is one where, you know, Michigan State had played a couple of decent games up until last week where they just got shellacked. Minnesota, I know they beat Iowa last week. But that was a pretty ugly game, all things considered. I don't really know where the offenses are going here. Both are ranked horribly in the in the offensive production. I would go under. All right. We got the Purdue Boilermakers at the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Yeah, this, this one is odd. It has really been tough to peg Nebraska this year just simply because they seem to be all over the map. Um, Vegas doesn't have a strong feel for me. either, 3-4 and four against the spread. Honestly, though, I think their defense statistically is a lot better than people are giving them credit for. Purdue is just very mediocre across the board. I think this could be a field goal win for Nebraska. If you get minus 2.5, give me the Cornhuskers. We got Southern Cal and a battle of California against Cal. Yeah, you've seen this spread right around 10, 10 and, minus 10, minus 10 and a half for USC over under 66 and a half, 67. I mean, we've been saying it all year. USC just will not play defense. We should have known this all along. Rican Liley can't even spell the word defense. He has no idea what a defense is. He's going to give up points at will. Kale Williams going to look to rebound. Cal's offense, actually not as bad as people think. Heavy on the over on this one. I'd even go up to 69. Hit that 69er. Let's go with Washington at Stanford. Yeah, I told you all last week, Washington was in a trap game against Arizona State. It was a night game. They were coming off a huge emotional win against Oregon. It was a sleepy game. And guess what? They played like it. But you know what? Great teams find a way to win. And that's what you saw with Washington. Sleepy game. They got through it. They move on. This is a game, though. Stanford, not a really good football team. I know we remember what happened with Colorado, but I'm going to reiterate, I don't think Colorado is a very good football team. I think Washington got their way up call you see a minus 26 and a half point spread here i would lay the points huskies win big at stanford you got those prime time buffs Colorado playing UCLA. Yeah, Buffalo's traveling to the Rose Bowl. You've seen this spread, minus 17, minus 17 and a half, bounce back and forth. UCLA over under 64 has dropped to 62 and a half. And looking at a game like this, you're actually seeing a lot of the money head on the under on this one, and that's because UCLA's defense is pretty stout. Colorado, you just never know what you're going to get from them. I would lean under on this game at 62 and a half. Wow. 
Washington State Cougars and the Arizona State Sun Devils. Yeah, you've seen this line in between minus five and a half and six kind of go back and forth and over under a 51. I know Washington State started out really good. They've kind of floundered recently. Arizona State's a very bad football team. They're at one and six. Their offense is one of the worst in the country. I know their defense played tough against Michael Penix last week. It is improving, but it's still statistically not that great. I think Washington Washington State escapes with the touchdown. I'd lay the points. Give me the Cougars. We got BYU playing Texas. Yeah, you've seen the spread, surprisingly. It started at minus 17, jump up to 18 and a half. We all know Quinn Ewers isn't playing this week. Um, I think that's kind of a testament to BYU, which is funny because BYU is a 5-2 and two team, but it's kind of a weak 5-2 and two record if you really break down their standings over under. Seen it right around 51 in that range. I, I think Texas kind of proved last week against a bad Houston team. They weren't able to score a ton of points. I know it was 31, but it wasn't a ton. BYU has looked pretty sluggish offensively this year. Without Ewers, I'd lean under here. Tulane versus Rice. Yeah, this one, again, another funny spread. You see it start at minus 13. That has dropped down to minus 10 and a half. Over under state right around 54. It's right now 53 and a half. Tulane was up big last week against North Texas. Blew a 28-point lead. Did squeak out in the end and win it. But if you actually break down Rice, I know we want to joke about them. They've actually been semi-competitive this year. Stayed in some close games. With that being said, take the points at minus 10 and a half. Give me Rice. It is time for four weeks in a row. Beef has had a burning sensation when he pees, and it's time for the burn when you pee game of the week. What you got for him, Matt? Yeah, we got a we got a doozy here. So we have the Minutemen of UMass at one and seven traveling to West Point to take on Army. And again, we love our service academies. We love our servicemen and women. Unfortunately, Army just does not have it on the football field this year. We have Army at minus nine and a half. We've actually seen that minus 10 at times this year. You've seen an over-under at 50. And if we want to start breaking down these stats a little bit further, UMass has the worst points per game allowed on defense in the FBS. However, Army is 126th in points per game scored on offense. And just for reference, there are 133 FBS teams, so 126, pretty bad. I could go into the opposites on those, but I can tell you they're all 90 and above on the opposite side. So these are bad offenses. These are bad defenses. However, you got that minus nine and a half. You got an over-under at 50. Where are you leaning to stop this four-game losing streak? Last place in points per game allowed. I want to know how many points they're allowing before I make this pick, my man. <laughs> I have it right in front of me. It is forty. It is 42.4. 133, 42 points per game. I didn't know they stacked shit that high. A worse in the FBS. However, if you're looking at Army and you're saying, okay, they're 126 in points scoring per game, they're scoring on average 15 points a game. So something is going to happen here. Either Army's offense is going to break out against the worst defense in the country, or that defense isn't going to be the worst defense in the country after this one. I got to go over. Over. All right. AJ, you heard it. I heard it. He took the over. I don't think he's going to be over this burning sensation. Well, Matt, as always... We appreciate you coming on the show. Get our money in line to make some bets. You're winning people some money. But, Beave, get us on out. Hey, thanks again, Matt. Appreciate you coming. Seattle, Matt. Thank you all for having me. Doing Vegas dirty. All right, Big Ten Backers, thanks for coming. And God bless. (laughs) Big Ten Backers Podcast. Follow our sponsors at NIL Fanboat on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and the thread. Also, visit the website, nilfanboat.com. Oh, no Midwest goodbye today. Yeah.